Our Father which art in heaven, the footprints of another one of your Sabbaths will soon retreat over the hills. Mm -hmm. And Father, they will leave memories of a Sabbath well spent. Mm -hmm. Father, we thank you for the fellowship of this day. And Lord, I also want to thank you for, for Bill. I want to thank you for his life that has been spent in pushing forward with the message of Christ our righteousness these many decades. Father, I thank you for the example he has left us. I thank you for the fruit that has been borne by the message that he has shared. And Lord, just now I am asking that your Holy Spirit would fill him as he once more opens to us your word. Father, in opening your word, we are treading on holy ground. Mm -hmm. And as we um, submit our wills to that of our Father in heaven, I just pray that the Holy Spirit will help us to see very clearly what you intend for us to know about you and your will for us this evening. Thank you for this time together, and I just pray that uh, your spirit of peace will be upon this place. For Jesus' sake, amen. amen. Good afternoon. First of all, before I do anything else, you would think that just one single quote, I would get it right. But I didn't, did I? It's supposed to be Zephaniah 3.17 rather than Zechariah 3.17, okay? Uh, to err is human to forgive what? Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, what has happened so far today, and uh, I suppose it would not be fair for a father to talk about his son's presentation, but I was blessed this morning by uh, Sean's uh, words to us from the, the Word of God. I also uh, want to uh, say I was richly blessed by the song that was sung. Is the lady here Amen. again? There she is. How many of you heard that song before? You probably have heard it. Most of folk in northern New England have heard it by now, right? I, I never, really, um, never really sensed the experience that William Miller went through and, until I heard that song. Uh, and the first time I heard it back, when would it have been? Last fall during the winter? I, I really, I cried. And I cried again today as I listened to it. Uh, we, we, it's so hard for us to, to understand the tremendous letdown, the tremendous disappointment that uh, the Millerites experienced in 1844. And it wasn't until I heard that song that it all kind of came together for me. And uh, based, of course, that song based upon William Miller's reply when someone asked him, when did he think the Lord was going to come? And his answer was, I have fixed my mind on another time. And what was that time? Today, today, today. today. Yep. Oh, that we would have that kind of experience, huh? That if we were thinking Jesus was going to come at a particular time and he didn't come, or even each day. Each day goes by, Jesus becomes more anxious, doesn't he? Becomes more anxious to come for his bride. So um, I, I just was impressed with that particular song. I thank you. It was a blessing. 
Thank you very much. Um, last night, as I, uh, I talked, I think, at the beginning of last night's presentation about what had happened in 1889 in South Lancaster, Massachusetts, how Ellen White described it later in the Review and Herald, she said it was as though we, it seemed as though we breathed the very atmosphere of heaven. And I want to share with you, for those of you who did not have an opportunity to be here last night or were not able to stay, that last half hour, 45 minutes when we gathered here, many of us to pray, that was, that was heaven. Amen. That was heaven. I just was, I wish you all could have been here for that experience. It, it just seemed heavenly to me that uh, we, were, we were in prayer and serious about it. I want to just uh, review just a little bit for those of you who may not have been here last night or perhaps were, but something of what I said was new to you. I, I don't know how many of you uh, know much about Seventh-day Adventist history, but uh, as I mentioned last evening, in 1844, it was you know our disappointment, I talk about our, but the people, the Millerites, it was their disappointment. 44 years later, it was Christ's disappointment. Uh, we, we talk a lot about our disappointment, or the churches, or not the churches, but the Millerites, our forefathers, uh, how disappointed they were, but we very little hear about the time that Jesus was terribly disappointed as well, because that's about as close as we've ever come as a denomination to seeing the return of Jesus Christ. Now, some people say, well, I'm glad he didn't come, because if he had come, I wouldn't have been here. Uh, well, think about the cross, all right? Think about the cross. It's not about us, right? It's about Jesus. It's about God. So whether we've been here or not, it's irrelevant, really. That's uh, when we say, oh, I'm glad he didn't come. Uh, to be honest with you, that's old covenant thinking. It's old covenant thinking. And uh, the reason we're still here is because of uh, old covenant thinking, to be honest with you. But uh, Jones and Wagner, just a couple of young guys. And, you know, let's be honest, the older you get, the little more resistant you are to the young guys. <laughs> now you can tell by looking at me whether I are a young guy or an old guy, right? But uh, two young men who were just imbued with God's spirit and were anxious and excited about talking about Christ our righteousness. And by the time that Minneapolis conference came along, of course, there were a lot of things going on before that with uh, the, the discussion, the debate of the law in Galatians, etc. It's a great history. One of my undergraduate degrees is in history, so I latched onto the 1888 uh, message so so eagerly because of the history. It wasn't something that happened in a vacuum. And uh, these, when these young men got there, it was not a good scene. It was not a good scene at all. And you saw my couple of quotes that uh, Ellen White gives. And what made it even more difficult for these older men who had carried burdens for decades, good men, dedicated men, they were dedicated to God. But it was very difficult for them. And what made it all the more difficult was that they saw this lady, this little old lady. Now, I shouldn't say that because as I was thinking, Ellen White was probably younger in 1888 than I am right now. So I shouldn't be calling her a little old lady. Um, a mature woman, shall we say, <laughs> was sitting there. And she later said that as she listened to these two young men, and many of you have heard this quote, she said, every fiber of my being said amen. She was thrilled. She was absolutely thrilled, excited. And that's why she traveled around with them afterward. 
And uh, every place they went, a revival broke out. Every place they went, a revival broke out. So it was an exciting time. uh, Many pastors, I don't know if you know this or not, but many pastors, Seventh-day Adventist pastors, when they heard this message of Christ our righteousness, you know what they asked for? They asked to be rebaptized. Several pastors were rebaptized. That's how moving and impressionable that was to them. Just a wonderful time. Um, And, of course, we know that there was a tremendous amount of ridicule that was going on. A lot of things were being said about Jones and Wagner, which was really unfortunate, really unfortunate. And Ellen White said that the Holy Spirit was insulted by what was taking place. And then she made the statement that if Jesus had been here, if Jesus had been here, the folk would have done the same thing that the Jews did to him 1,900 years previously. That's, That's staggering when you think of it. You wonder, what would it be like if Jesus came in here today? What would our response be? Well, we'd all jump up, I'm sure, and bow down at his feet. If he hung around, though, for a few days, I wonder if we'd still be, you know, ready for all of that. But um, they, what, what compounded the thing that many of these individuals who were opposed to the message of Christ are righteousness, some of them repented later on. And I use that in quotations. Because some of the ones who it seemed repented really in their hearts, there was a continued resistance, and their actions spoke louder than words. So it was not a it was not a good day in the history of Seventh Day Adventism, but it's God's bride, and God is not going to throw His bride away, and that's the good news. He's waiting for His bride to do something that is just so wonderful in terms of ex, uh, of repentance, as we talked last evening. Now, what these men had a difficult time, too, was understanding that they not only were rejecting the message that Elders Jones and Wagner were presenting, they also, unwittingly, were rejecting the spirit of prophecy. That's, that was very serious. Because, obviously, Ellen White was endorsing these men, and uh, they fought that. And so she realized that they were rejecting the testimonies from God and tried to help them to understand that. And if you read the 1888 uh, study materials uh, published by, who put them out? Was it reviewed to put out the uh, 1888 study materials? There's about how many pages altogether? 1,900. 1,900 pages written about this, this, this incident by the pen of Ellen White. Not every page was about that, but um, it, was, it was really a, a momentous time in Seventh-day Adventist history. And here we are now, 120-some years later, and God is still looking for us, looking for his bride um, to, uh, to recognize what has transpired in its history. Um, Ellen White mentions in Testimonies to Ministers, page 92. You may want to look at this reference. She says, uh, the message of, of Christ our righteousness, said, the, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, it goes like this, um, it, it invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ, which would, bear, which would be manifested in obedience to all the commandments of God. See, it was, so, it was so subtle, it seemed, because here these people who were wanting to emphasize the commandments of God, right, did not realize, didn't realize that here was the faith of Jesus being presented to them that would give them the power to keep all the commandments of God. You know what? That confusion still takes place today. It's still with us. It's still within the church. 
I have, uh, I have, I've been exposed to it on more than one occasion. Just, it's so, so subtle, but so much different. And so I would invite you, if you have a chance, to, to, um, to do some more studying in that particular incident in Seventh-day Adventist history. Uh, today, I want to talk about a wedding. And I'm not going to... This morning, as I listened to Sean speak, I go, oh, oh, he's getting into my territory for my presentation this afternoon. And so he's probably now sitting and saying... Oh, oh, I wonder if Dad is getting going to get into my territory that I'm going to speak on tomorrow morning. Is, uh, gonna, no? All right. Good, good. We did check before we, we came. You know, what are you talking about? We made decisions here a few weeks ago to make sure we didn't, we didn't talk about the same thing. But uh, we are talking about the same thing, right? Christ our righteousness. That's right. Uh, I want to tell you what a, what a real joy it has been to be here with you folk. I just love it. I, yeah, I told you last night or whenever that I'm, I'm the old guy in more ways than one. I'm now almost 36 years into pastoral ministry in the Southern New England Conference. And uh, I joked about, can you get me a call? But like everybody else, pastors typically will get calls someplace. But I have never even hesitated. Oh, yeah, I say, okay, I'll pray about it. Uh, and I prayed about it for a few minutes. But uh, I, <laughs> the reason I've never accepted a call anyplace else is because my burden is for New England and Eastern Canada. Yes. <laughs> really, truly, really, truly. I, uh, my goodness, my heart is here. It really is. And uh, I've continued to have that burden laid upon me. So uh, that's the reason why I've stuck around so long. Yeah, well, thank you. All right, so a wedding. We're going to talk about a wedding today. And, and as you, I, I know I have a friend of mine who, who is my co-host for our radio program, Portraits of God, uh, that I'm sure you all listen to. <laughs> Sunday night, 730. 590, okay. Um, and he loves, his name is Bob Hunsaker. He's a physician in Boston. He loves weddings. Now, my wife will tell you that if I'm not directly involved in a wedding, I, uh, I go, but I usually try to make sure I can slip a book in my pocket. <laughs> do, you, do you know any weddings that start on time? Well, we could find some. I'm sure you remember one or two that started on time. But, oh, man, I could tell you some wedding stories. Every pastor could write a book on wedding stories. Is that right, Cliff? I mean, I conducted a wedding where the, where the bride fainted right in the middle of the uh, ceremony. And my wife, who was in back in the, in, as a wedding coordinator, she came, you know, the, the, the father of the bride jumped up and said to his daughter, who was out cold on the floor. It's okay. You're married. You're married. You're married. My wife is running down the center aisle of the church. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> it, it should. It should have gone on, on to uh, America's Funniest Home Videos or something like that. And then there was the, the, the wedding I had. And I'm sure you, Cliff, you've got all oh, you fellows in the past. Uh, right in the middle of the ceremony. The, uh, the groom took a powder. He just walked right up. Just like that. Yeah. Wow. He came back about ten minutes later. And that's the story in itself. You 
get it from my wife afterward if you're curious. Enough. Yeah, no, 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 he, he wasn't. Everybody in the congregation thought, hey, the guy's taking a powder. He's just walking away on her. No, he had some problems health-wise that he needed to take care of. <laughs> it was her fault because she fed him something the night before <laughs> at, the, at the reception. So anyway, that was all kinds of wedding stories. But uh, <laughs> anyway, maybe you've got some you can, you, if you've got a good one, you can share it with me afterwards. And, you know, you could hear it on the radio or something a few weeks from now. I wouldn't name you, of course. But uh, there's nothing like a, a, a wedding to, uh, to see young love or maybe older love. I helped conduct a wedding, what, about two years ago of somebody who was 78 and about 82. Um, they had a whirlwind romance of about six weeks. Shouldn't take us two or three years to decide whether they want to get married at this age, right? So anyway, um, and I'm going to talk about somebody who Jesus looks forward to marrying. It's a Sabbath afternoon. It's a wonderful Sabbath day. And as Ed, as you prayed, wow, it doesn't get much better than this. I told somebody at lunch, I really don't want to leave tomorrow. It's just been a little bit of heaven. And, you know, you go back and go back to reality, right? But uh, we need these things. You, I'm, Kelly, you've done a tremendous job. Amen. done a tremendous job once again. I see her every place, you know. She's cleaning this, working the kitchen, dispersing, dispensing popcorn. And she, every place I go, she seems to be there working. And um, appreciate it very much. Very, very much. We need something like this down in southern New England. So if you have any influence with the powers that be down there, more than I do, and uh, <laughs> I don't have a lot, but uh, please, please, put a bug in somebody's ear so that we could, uh, or else get everybody in southern New England up here for a weekend. You let them come up, would you, for at least a weekend when you don't need to be here or something? Anyway, we need to work on that. I'd like to keep it spreading. like to keep it spreading. Um, any, you notice I'm not laughing. And anybody who knows me knows why. Because guess what my favorite time of the year is? Winter. That's right. Yes, yes. I'm delighted with winter, my favorite time of the year. Remember that old Canadian blood. I'm not one of those people who moved south to get out of the winters. All right. So who could we imagine that Jesus would want to marry? As you think of somebody in the Bible, well, who in the Bible most wonderfully fits the kind of woman that Jesus would want to marry. Would it be Sarah? Rebecca, maybe? I probably, Esther, if I, if I were to vote, I would vote for Ruth. Mm. I did a series, a couple series on Ruth. Great book. Man, the gospel just comes flying off the pages at you. The book of Ruth. Fantastic book. Fantastic. But probably not Ruth either may surprise you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, today as we, uh, as we gather here this afternoon on just a delightful Sabbath day, it's autumn, it's New England, it's Maine, it's Weld, Maine. It keeps getting better. We thank you, Lord, that this fellowship that we experience on the Sabbath is a little taste of heaven. Every week, in fact. Every week. 
what a, what a blessing the Seventh-day Sabbath is. Oh, that the whole world could understand it. Amen. Wow, what a gift from you. We thank you. It, it glues us together in many, many ways. We, we're just so appreciative of the fellowship and the blessings that come to us on this day. And we hope that each week we in turn bless you and give you praise and thanksgiving. But now as we study today a wonderful, wonderful story of love and of marriage, we pray for your spirit to be here. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think some of you could guess by now who it is I'm making reference to. Not Sarah, not Rebecca, not Ruth, not Esther, and uh, maybe even the mother of Jesus in a way. Very godly woman, right? But it's, it's not her either. The woman who I think would most epitomize the kind of bride Jesus is looking for is found in all four Gospels. And I would invite you to turn your, your, your Bible, to, open your Bible to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Have it say amen. amen. Begin, in, begin in verse 1. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. I had a friend who used to preach this sermon on a regular basis. Some of you have perhaps have heard him preach that this particular sermon about Mary Magdalene. And uh, a friend of mine told me one day that a friend of his came to me and said, you know, I've heard him preach that sermon so many times. I, I just, that's it. And my friend said to his friend, he said, did you tell me one time that uh, you kept watching over and over again the series called Gilligan's Island on TV. And you've watched this, those particular episodes dozens of times, and you mean you don't want to listen to a sermon on Mary Magdalene, even if you've heard it before several times? Wow. And I'm sure everybody here has heard a sermon on Mary Magdalene. Now, this individual who, who used to preach this sermon on a pretty regular basis said in a sermon one day, you know, um, each time he gave it, but I picked him up on it. He said, you know, Mary Magdalene had seven devils cast out of her. That's what we're told, right? That's what we just read. He said, and those seven devils didn't come out all at the same time. Seven different times she heard Jesus cast out a devil. And I said to him, where did you get that? And he thought about it kind of smiled a little bit. And I said, now where in the Bible would you have ever gotten that idea? Well, he felt a little chagrined, I guess. So where would he have ever gotten that idea? That at seven different times, Jesus, uh, Jesus cast a demon out of Mary Magdalene. Yes. That's where he got it from, yes. But Desire of Ages doesn't count when you're looking for something from the Bible, right? So where would he ever have gotten that idea? 
my uh, my Greek scholars. Well, actually, it's what I just read. It's what I just read. Because the tense there of talking about how she had seven demons cast out of her, the tense is what they call a cumulative pluperfect. Which means that it didn't happen all at once. So I got on the phone immediately, and I called my friend, and I said, you know what? I owe you an apology. It is there in the Bible. Oh, it is? Where? (laughs) So I told him. That's right. Right there it tells us that those seven demons were not cast out all at once, but over a series of time until finally the last one was cast out of her. Amen. And of course, she was appreciative of that. That would be an understatement. By the way, somebody said that uh, Robert Whelan has this uh, definition of faith as a heart appreciation of what Jesus Christ had done, has done for us. That faith is not just trusting, it's just not believing, but it's a heart appreciation. That did not originate with him, by the way. If you want a good book to read, if you are in, into reading non-Seventh-day Adventist authors, and I'm, I do that, I hope you don't think I'm a heretic, but there's a man named A.B. Bruce, who's a Scottish theologian, who in the, in the 1800s wrote a book called The Training of the Twelve. Fantastic book. The Training of the Twelve. And in there, he coins, he gives a definition of faith as a hearty appreciation of what Christ has done for us. And I think Robert Whelan probably just dropped off the Y, the word hearty, and call it a heart appreciation. But that's my favorite definition of faith. Because gratitude, gratefulness, thankfulness will carry you a long way in your Christian experience. If you foster an attitude of gratitude. And so we come to this scene here in in Luke chapter 7. And uh, I like this version in in a couple of ways because it mentions two things that the other three gospel writers do not mention. And that's what I'd like to bring you to focus your attention upon today. So you have Luke chapter 7 now, right? And we begin here with verse 36. And Sean read this a little bit earlier today. And it says here in verse 36, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went unto the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And you know the rest of the story, Christ's conversation with, uh, with, uh, with Simon. Um, and Sean spoke about this this morning, so I don't want to repeat that necessarily. But the other three gospel writers, if my memory serves me correctly, when uh, this was going on and they were critical of, of, uh, of Mary and what she had done, do you remember what Jesus' first words out of his mouth were? That's right. Let her alone. Mm, very protective. Because he understood, didn't he, that her act was a, a, a revelation of the very gospel itself. Now, 
that alabaster box is a lot of things have been said about it. It seems, and maybe some of my pastoral friends can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed to me that um, that the cost of, of that particular perfume, if you translate it into today's money, it said it was a year's wages, right? One of the gospel writers says it was it was a year a year's wages. So what would be an average wage today? We're not in Canada. <laughs> 40,000 average, huh? Well, let's, let's just say a, a common laborer today. 20,000, 25,000, perhaps? I'm, I'm sorry? 25. A common laborer? My dear brother-in-law, you probably don't know much about common laborers. <laughs> You're going what you, yeah, okay. 25. Let's, so now can you imagine now a perfume worth $25,000. Can you understand that somebody who is not being led of the Spirit could say, wow, what a waste. What a waste. 25 grand. That's a lot of money today. She did not go, forgive me for saying this in case you're an employee of these places, but, but she, she didn't go to, to Walmart. Right? She didn't go to Target. And, and not even Bloomingdale. She, she, whatever it was. Okay. She, whatever it was, she went to a place that would have perfume that was of tremendous value. Someone, I, did I read someplace that that um, that the alabaster box had perfume in it that was from the rare flowers of the Himalayas? Or is that my imagination? All right, it's my imagination. I heard you. <laughs> okay, all right. I, I've done some research, and it seems to me like 20 years ago, that somehow sticks in my mind. And, and we would know that that kind of a, of a perfume would be reserved for people who had tremendous amounts of money, maybe the king or the queen or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, you've, see, you've heard the little scenarios, the imagination of going, you know, and checking out perfume until she got just that particular perfume. She comes back and she, she now does something, men, that we somehow or other cannot grasp because we are slow learners. Really slow learners. Some of my, uh, some of my members know about this because um, I gave it a children's story. I went about four or five months ago, five months ago, to, the, to, to Walmart, not to buy perfume, but to buy a toothbrush. <laughs> it's one of my members laughing already. And uh, I go through toothbrushes, you know, uh, about every three or four months, and I was there trying to find just the right one. Anyway, finally decided on one and, and took it home and used it and said, you know, this... This toothbrush is probably something I shouldn't have bought. It just doesn't seem to work like I want it to, you know. And uh, about three months later, I was I was getting ready. Promise you won't laugh. Old covenant promise you won't laugh. So I'm getting ready to brush my teeth, and, and suddenly I, I heard a something like that or a vibration. What is? Where is that coming from? <laughs> Wait a minute, this is a toothbrush that's battery operated. It took me three months to learn that. Men, 
don't get it very quickly. So you can see at least this this kind of a man. So so here is this this woman this woman this woman who gets it. She gets it. And the rest of the disciples who had hung around with them for three and a half years, they didn't get it. Men, hats off to women. Hats off to women. I had a crazy prayer last night that I'm sure people walked away and said, what in the world was that? Because in my prayer, as we all prayed, I talked about mothers. God has a very special place in his heart for mothers. He really does. Because mothers have an ability to sense things above God that men struggle with. And there's a major reason why churches are so much more full of women than there are men in the congregations. Because they get it more easily than we do. Really. My hat's off to mothers. Every one of, every one of us has had one, right? <laughs> so she gets it and she, uh, she decides that she's going to honor Jesus. She didn't care about the cost of the perfume. She didn't care about the cost. Love never counts the cost, does it? She, her only concern was of what it was going to cost Jesus to forgive her. Now, he had forgiven her, but to sacrifice himself on her behalf, that was her only concern. And so she goes to the, the, the banquet, the, the, the dinner that Simon, the former leper, puts on for Jesus. He'd invited all the right people, right? Now, this woman is like uh, the, that couple a couple years ago at the White House. Remember that? They crashed the party. They got somehow in there through all of the whatever checkpoints. A big embarrassment to the president and the security. Well, we can imagine how embarrassed Simon must have been when he realized that Mary was there at that particular function. Embarrassed, scandalized. And of course, those of you who are privy to some kind of runnings, you know a little bit about the connection, don't you, between the two of them. But anyway... Everything seems to be going fine until the alabaster box is broken and the aroma floats throughout the entire room. Significant, right? Significant. Because that aroma, that alabaster box and its contents represented the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the whole world. So it permeates the entire banquet hall or whatever he was using there. And then people begin to wonder, sniffing, where is that coming from? And they look, and maybe about the same time, they hear a wailing noise. Now let me share with you again, little lady Ellen White was a tremendous theologian, inspired of God. Because when it tells us in the Bible that she was weeping. It really means, the, the Greek word there means that she was wailing. She was wailing, sobbing. You probably could hear her wail all over the facility. I don't know how many of you, uh, well, that's a dumb question. You all have been to a funeral, I'm sure. 
Do you know, uh, the people in New England are very stoic, maybe Eastern Canada too, very stoic when it comes to showing emotion, right? At a wedding, we're very reserved. Caucasians typically are very reserved. Go to other funerals, I should say, I said weddings, funerals. Uh, you go to other funerals in certain cultures, there's a lot of crying going on. A lot of noise. I had a funeral a number of years ago for a young lad I mentioned the other day who died in the hospital, leukemia, at the funeral when they were lowering the casket into the, into the spot. The young mother was threatening to jump in with it. She went right over and started to throw herself right into the hole. And the man who was uh, the funeral director had to grab her. She was just wailing her eyes out. And uh, we, we here in our Western culture, especially Caucasian, are very reserved when it comes to those kinds of things. And so here is this woman just wailing. But what is even more, more scandalous is that she is touching Jesus. She has let her hair down, which was a what? No-no in that culture. And probably that influenced Simon all the more to say if he really knew who she was because that was significant of individuals with a low morality. But he notices that she, of all things, is kissing his feet. Whoa. Isaiah chapter 52. Here is this, this wonderful, wonderful verse, and we can understand why we understand why she is kissing his feet. Verse seven. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion. Thy God reigneth. No wonder she was kissing her feet. They were the most beautiful feet she had ever seen, right? Because they had brought to her forgiveness. Somebody had come who had treated her as a human being after she had been utilized by men, perhaps for years and years and years. Someone looked beyond her fault and saw her need. She couldn't help herself. She couldn't help herself. She could no more stop what she was doing than you or I could stop the water going over Niagara Falls. She was so grateful, so thankful, so appreciative. She could not stop herself. And those cries, that sobbing, was just not sorrow. It was full of gratitude as well. It was an example of repentance at its finest. She was going to contribute to his death. She knew that he was going to die. She had heard him talking about dying. The disciples, no, no, they were so full of pride. Where am I going to be in the kingdom? You know, what, what cabinet post am I going to have? But she sent something. 
that her forgiveness was going to cost him his life. All four gospel writers recorded. Friends, oh, that we were all Mary Magdalene's. Got a song I want to uh, have you listen to. This is a very unusual situation, but uh, you're going to hear a, a song sung for you. No, not by me. Um, I'm not even sure who's singing it here. <laughs> Had to wait till the last meeting. How to? <laughs> but um, who, who's the song? Who's the singer? Jennifer Ebanks. Apparently, not many of you have heard this song before because I asked around uh, at the last two or three hours if somebody would sing it for me, and everybody said no. They said it because they didn't want to sing it in just two or three hours' notice, probably. But anyway, we, we came across came across this this present this this song, and it's called the Alabaster Box. Beautiful song. Of the 
time again when that voice is heard leave them alone it's coming it's coming want to take you to two last texts this afternoon Isaiah chapter 62 going to read the first five verses. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all the kings thy glory and thou shalt be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. 
but thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah, married. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy, thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. Glory, hallelujah. And so Zephaniah chapter 3, well-known text to many Bible students, Zephaniah chapter 3. Verse 17, as you have read in that little quote, we enter into the holy of holies. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. Amen? He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Who would want to miss out on that kind of opportunity? To hear Jesus singing over his bride. Fantastic. That's what he's looking forward to with eager anticipation. He's looking for a, a, a bride who, as Mary Magdalene, knew what repentance was. Because there is not only contrition, there is joy in such an experience. And I believe with all my heart that the highest form of perfection that a human being could ever experience is the perfection of repentance. Wouldn't you like to hear him sing over you soon? Not just for our sakes, but for his. Old Covenant says, I'll be glad when Jesus can come so I can get to live in that mansion. Or I can get out of this world with all its problems. New Covenant says, may we want Jesus to come so that he can reap his reward. Amen. And the great thing is, is that you and I are his reward. What a God. What a God. Amen. Let's stand for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, who is worthy? Not us. But amazingly, you see something in us that you yearn to spend eternity with. And as defective and deficient as we are, we know that you can transform us into your image by your grace. You can present us faultless before your, your, your throne of grace. And you're looking forward to taking your bride and presenting her to your dad. Saying, Dad, here I am. And isn't this the most beautiful bride you've ever seen, Dad? 
and all the universe will cry out, Amen. Thank you, Lord. May none of us be missing. Not for our sake only, but for yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you be seated, please? I had a quotation that I, just as I started to pray, I, uh, I remembered. In fact, two quotations. And by the way, it's amazing how God works. I'm sitting there, and suddenly it hits me, there's going to be another time when God says, let her alone. Isn't that true? When persecution comes, and God comes to rescue his bride. Desire of Ages, page 825. Divine law, divine love has been stirred in its unfathomable depths for the sake of men. And angels marvel to behold in the recipients of so great a love a mere surface gratitude. Angels marvel at man's shallow appreciation of the love of God. May that, that not be said about that final generation. You know, you go back to your churches, I'm burdened. It's not so much about loving God. It's as an old friend of mine used to say, just go back and love people. That's what, that's what others need to see. People who come here who have been transformed, go back and love people. It's not correcting somebody about this. Not saying, oh, boy, I never heard this for 20 years I've been sitting here. No, it's about loving people. Here's my favorite quote in all of Spirit of Prophecy. It comes from Desire of Ages, page 826 and 827. In Christ, in Christ, is the tenderness of the shepherd, the affection of the parent, and the matchless grace of a compassionate Savior. I have no idea who she's quoting there. But boy, oh boy. Anyway, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, as you, you know. Now, listen, I, I, this, is, this is how we're to do evangelism. Listen to this now. His blessings he presents in the most alluring terms. What was that? Yeah, his blessings he presents in the most alluring terms. He is not content merely to announce these blessings. He presents them in the most attractive way to excite a desire to possess them. You can imagine now presenting the Sabbath in such a way people can say, wow, fantastic, or any other truth. So his servants are to present the riches of the glory of the unspeakable gift. What a way with words. What a way with words. The wonderful love of Christ will melt and subdue hearts when the mere reiteration of doctrine will accomplish nothing. Now think about typical evangelism. I want to tell you something. I was richly blessed with working together with Rick Howard this past spring. My members were richly blessed with working with him. Rick Coons. What did I say? Rick Howard? 
I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. That's right. It's Rick Koontz. Rick Koontz. Yeah. I know Rick Howard, too, by the way. But uh, I worked with Rick Koontz. There's a man who loves the Lord. There's a man who loves the Lord, I'll tell you. But uh, typical evangelism, and I've done enough of it to know. And I believe me, when I talk about Old Testament, I have preached too many Old, Test- Old, Covenant, Old Covenant sermons. So I kind of know what they look like because I preached a lot of them myself. And, and our evangelism, we need the cross of Calvary in every single doctrine. Amen. And uh, we still need to improve tremendously on that. So his servants, I'm sorry, he presents them in the most attractive way to excited desire to possess them. So his servants are to preach, present the riches of the glory of the unspeakable gift. The wonderful love of Christ will melt and subdue hearts. Pastors, I want to encourage you not just to speak to the mind, speak to the heart. If you win the heart, you have won a convert for Jesus Christ. We have, we've spent enormous amounts of time trying to convince people of truth rather than convict them of truth. We need their hearts. That's the first thing. Tell the people of him who is the chiefest among 10,000 and the one altogether lovely. Wow. Words alone cannot tell it. Let it be reflected in the character and manifested in the life. Christ is sitting for his portrait in every disciple. Amen, huh? In every one of us, he's sitting for his portrait. In everyone, Christ's long-suffering love, his holiness, meekness, mercy, and truth are to be manifested to the world. Who can improve upon that? I can't. Thank you. Amen.